Okay, here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ Network named after my sister, Marsha Joyce. There's going to be so much fun. We have the author of Tallyman here. D.P. Lyle is here. And this is really started off really scary. When Sonny Carlin is gunned down while he's on a late night run near the community college where he teaches, his mother, Erin Coleman, the U.S. ambassador to NATO, wishes to avoid his death becoming an international media circus. And DP has created two characters that you got to have more of, Bobby Kane and Harvey <laughs> McCoy. Who, oh, I love these two guys. They're so cool. So good morning and welcome to MJ Network. And, of course, there's a whole bunch of murders in there in between, but I'm not telling anybody anything. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Fran. It's always great to be with you. So we always have a good time. This is fun, and well, these two are different. So, how did you create Kane and Harper? And tell us a little about this one. They're, they're different than Nicole and Jake, but they're they're really cool. These guys, seriously, people got to read them. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Nicole and Jake in my Jake Longley series are, you know, funny and and humorous and yeah. have their own little. Uh, uh, Kind of like Spencer Tracy and uh, Catherine Hepburn yeah. uh, banter, but Kane and Harper are not that way. Uh, they're very serious and they're very focused and they're very dedicated. But they started in a very unusual way, and mm-hmm. where this came from is I grew up in the South, and I remember as a kid, the back in the fifties, early fifties, kids would come, to, the gypsies would come to town. And oh, wow. I remember one day I arrived with my dad in the car, and I saw these people going along the side of the road, and they were in horse-drawn flatbed buggy, you know, uh, trailers mm. and stuff. And they're sitting there. They were very colorful, and they had, a, you know, there's about probably a dozen of them. And I said, Who is, what is that? And that's where they're gypsies. They, they roam around. They go from town to town. He said, they're probably going over to the fairground. And they would always come to the Madison County Fairgrounds and park there and put mm. on little shows and all that. And then who knows what else they did. But anyway, I was fascinated by that culture. So, um, and later on, ran into it again in medical school when they would show up at the medical center in Birmingham to have babies. Mm. And it was, uh, now they had graduated to RVs and, uh, you know, pickup trucks. And, uh, but it was the same thing. And it was really, really wild. Anyway, so... I decided to create this family, this traveling itinerant family. And Mm -hmm. uh, Bobby Kane had been, uh, of course, his name wasn't Bobby Kane then. He didn't know what his name was. He had been abandoned at just a few months old in a a bus station in Houston, Texas. And the Mm. family was moving through there, and they saw him, and they scooped him up and just adopted him, so to speak, stole him, whatever. And about the same time, Harper McCoy, who wasn't Harper then, but she was uh, 
her mother was an alcoholic half Cherokee, uh, well known to everybody as just the town drunk. And she sold Harper to this family for a couple of hundred bucks and a few bottles of whiskey. And oh, wow. so now Kane and Harper are taken under the wing of one of the families. This troop was about 60 people. And they were raised as brothers and sisters. So they grew up together for basically from birth. And so became very, very, very close. Uh, and that's how they, that's how their story started. Um, and, and they learned how to live off the land, how to hunt, how to fish, also mm. how to break into houses, how to steal, how to pickpocket, how to scam people, <laughs> how to That's put on cool. shows. And one of the things, one of the things is Bobby became an expert with knives that he could throw knives mm. and hit his target every time from a young age. And at age seven, he became Bobby Blade, and he was kind of the star of these little shows they put on. So that was that was their childhood. That's how they grew up until the family was disbanded because the FBI came in and swooped mm. in because they had stolen stuff and scammed stuff and done stuff across many state lines and broke up the family, and they both went off to orphanages. I know that is the worst, and I've dealt with kids that were, when I taught, that were in orphanages or in foster homes. That's not mm-hmm. the way to live. It's, it's uh, the, the crazy things that you have to do to report people, seriously. That's if you care. Oh, yeah. And so how did they survive on the street, and who is Uncle Arthur? He's cool. It's, well, it's Uncle Albert, but, yeah, Uncle Albert, Albert and yeah. Dixie are the uh, – yeah, they're the, they're the couple within the group that kind of – they were raised by the group. I mean, that's kind of things way where it was the mm. commune, traveling commune, mm. if you will. But these this couple actually took in these two kids, and they were responsible more for it. So Harper had a gift for manipulating people. She could say anything, do anything, make you believe anything, play any role, and pick your pocket while she was looking you in the face. And she was trained that way. She could also hunt and fish and, you know, do all that stuff. Bobby mm. was very clever physically, and he could climb. And they trained him to climb trees and then climb buildings and then get on, mm. get into places. And, and he would go with his uncle's to do second story work from the time he was like seven years old. And then when he was nine, he did his first solo mm. where he could literally break into houses while people were there and, and steal stuff. And they would never know he was there. And so he was just had a gift for that. So they were trained to not only be woodsy smart, if you will, they could mm. survive and live off the land, but also street smart because yeah. they could, they could steal and rob and manipulate you and scam you and do all that stuff, even as children. So that's how they became who they were. It's scary. I grew up in the South Bronx, and you had to be really street smart to survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. and I taught in the Bronx, and I taught the kids taught me how to be even smarter. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's it's just different. So in the present, totally. mm-hmm, this the first scene really got me upset. This poor Sonny. Oh, good. <laughs> I I was like felt yeah. so bad because after all, he was cool. All the girls liked him, and somebody killed him while he was on a simple run. So how did you decide to create that? Then there was a second victim. We're not going to say who. And then, of course, yeah. his mother is Ambassador Tornado. That's cool. And she wanted right. him found, but she didn't want any, to make a big deal out of it. 
So how did you exactly. describe that as the first scene? I felt so bad. I said, the next time my nephew goes running a lot, and I texted him, I said, Josh, don't go in the middle of the night because I'm going to worry. <laughs> and, he, and he's well, a wrestler. I used to do a lot of, yeah. I scared, to yeah. do a lot of running, too, marathons and all that stuff really? back when I was young. Uh, yeah. Um, but but at, when Kane and Harper got uh, sent to the orphanage, then they both got adopted by separate families, and they didn't know. I mean, they, all they knew was Kane, uh, Bobby and and uh, and Harper. That's the only mm. names they knew, and so they disappeared. They both went in different directions, and so they lost touch with each other. Well, as fate would turn out, Bobby, after high school, joined the military. Uh, the army figured out very quickly he had special skills that he could get in and out of places and and use knives very very well, and so they sent him to ranger school and then from there. He got picked up by the special ops people and was trained by the Rangers, by Delta Force, by the Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. He worked with all these groups, and then he became, in the Middle East, kind of a port of a spear guy. If you were in Afghanistan and you needed a bomb maker taken out and you didn't want to blow up the whole neighborhood, you sent Kane in. And he could climb the building. He could get in the back window. He could kill the guy and mm. leave, and they would never know he was there. And so he became a very important asset. Harper joined the Navy, unbeknownst to Bobby. Obviously, they didn't know each other. And she gravitated toward naval intelligence. And then from mm. there to the CIA, again, because she's smart, clever, and manipulate people. And so mm. she was running an op in the Middle East, and it morphed at the end, and Bobby was brought in at the last minute, and neither one of them knew, knew that. And suddenly they're in Afghanistan face-to-face with each other 15 years later. And they immediately, you know, rebond because, well, they grew up together. And so – Shortly thereafter, they left the military, and now they went off on their own, and they are basically contract people. They're fixers, do what's necessary. So when Sonny Coleman is out jogging, he's a college professor in a small town, a little town I made up in southern Tennessee, and he's out there running, and he gets uh, shot and killed and left on the side of the road, and these two college co-eds find him laying there. They're out for for a drive late at night. And it turns out that his mother is the ambassador to NATO. And so when she learns this, she knows that because of her position, this could turn into a, a big deal. And so she knows a general who, who knew Kane and Harper, and that's how the connection was made. And so she had them come in and say, I want this taken care of. I want it fixed. I want this guy brought to justice by whatever means are necessary. Make this right. That's how they ended up on the ground in Tennessee. Of course, they live in Nashville now, so that's their home base, so to speak. So it wasn't far away. Yeah, well, she wanted them to take care of it, and there was just something. You know, she was tough, but she had a lover. I really liked her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too. She was a very smart, very tough lady, and of course, she's in Europe, you know, in Belgium at a NATO meeting, and so she can't get. She can't fix it herself, so she hires them to fix it, and she basically says, make it happen, whatever it takes. You know, she, she's That's what very I like about her. pragmatic. Yeah, very military thinking. You know, fix the problem. <laughs> Don't give me the rules. Just fix the problem. <laughs> I think everybody needs somebody like her to fix the problem. Sure. 
Because lately, nobody wants I mean, to fix any problems. They just make up excuses for being inept. <laughs> what can you do? So, well, I mean, this, there's a lot of other characters out there in literature about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Jack Reacher, yeah. I mean, it comes to mind. He fixed things. But that goes all the way back to the Shane character, you know, in the in the wonderful movie. Uh, yeah. Alan Ladd. Uh, Shane just roamed around and came into town and fixed things. He was yeah, a I gunman know. that fixed things, you know. And so... You know, Jack Reacher is just the modern day Shane, and then these two characters, I think, follow in that in that mold. They fix things. They are. They are. They're really good. That's why I like them, and they're different. But what I said to said to some, my husband this morning, I said, you know, Jake and, and Nicole are one way, but I'm so glad that you created two characters that are not like them. You know how many books I read? Not at Too all. many. And I said, yeah. Exactly. I said, Every time there's like. The, the same, you know, different character, just a uh, different novel, but the same kind of personality. I said, this was like, I just sat down and read it. I strain all the way. It was worth it. Seriously. So what yeah, happens like when they... It's the fact that they are, the fact yeah. that they are so different, these, they are. Two, these two series. I go backwards and forth, and I think it keeps things fresh. I'm not doing the same mm-hmm. character over and over and over again, which can get stale. So I'm going yep. backwards and forth, and it's two entirely different kinds of storytelling. I mean, entirely. Just, One's dark and down and dirty, and the other's light and funny and goofy, and, and, and I like that. I like both. So I do also, and I read Cultured, and I have the questions for you next month, whenever I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I sat down yeah, and read yeah, that, okay. too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been getting <laughs> some very you, strange so. books to read, with characters that are that are animals that are running companies and dancing and then go like, oh my God, help me! So here comes another character. <laughs> what happens when they meet Chief Vance, and how does he react at first? And what happens when he allows them to work? I love Willa and Patrick, but what happens yeah. when he allows them to work with them? They're so cool. Well, obviously, uh, Chief Vance is the chief of the police there in this little small town, and you know, they police officers often run their fiefdoms very, very close to the vest, and they want control, and they don't want outsiders sticking their nose in, which is exactly what Kane and Harper are as outsiders, and you know, who are you, and why are you here, and that kind of thing. But then uh, Aaron Coleman, the ambassador, flies in on a private jet to get boots on the ground, so to speak, and figure out what's going on here. And um, and she hooks up with Kane and Harper, and they go see Chief Vance. Well, mm. you're a small-town chief of police, and when the ambassador to NATO shows up and says, hey, mm. I want my son was killed on your, on your property. I want these guys involved in what's going on. He mm. reluctantly agrees at first, but he later warms to them because he realizes they're not there to mess up his job. They're there to help him. And uh, so their dynamic evolves into that, which is very good. Yeah. Well, I was glad because most of the time what I really liked is that you didn't depict the chief of police as being horrible. I, I read a book yesterday, I won't say what, and the character in the book was off the wall, the main character, he was trying to get justice for somebody, and the police department was totally corrupt. The FBI, the CIA, everybody that he worked with was corrupt, and that bothered me because there were good people everywhere. There was not one police officer that was good. And I said, you know what, this is a little yeah. over the top, because that's not true. 
So tell us no, it's about it's... tell us about Willa and why she seems to be such a great detective. <laughs> and Patrick is so staunch. Yeah. Really. Yeah, to, I, to... I, uh, I I like both of them. I like both of them. They're, yeah, uh, me too. But he's too uh, cool. He's too. Uh, well, Willa and Patrick are partners, and they're both would be the equivalent of homicide detectives in this little yeah. town. But you know, there's not really um, they don't really have the resources for that. But they're the ones who handle if there's a murder, if there's a, a, a big robbery, if there's something big going on, mm. they get called in, and they're very different. Uh, Patrick's very by the book. He's an ex-military guy. Yeah. He likes things done in order. Willa, on the other hand, is a loose cannon, and she says, you know, hey, who cares as long as we solve the problem? Mm -hmm. As long as we figure out who did what to who, when, where, and how, what's all this other stuff? What difference does it make? And so uh, uh, they butt heads a little over that, but at the end, they're very very, uh, tight-knit. And so I think Kane and Harper gravitate more toward Willow. Willa than mm-hmm. they do Patrick, even though they respect yeah. and, and and work with both of them. But Willa is more their kind of person. She would have done well in the Gypsy family. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I like her. She's a great character to write. Yeah. Yeah, she she really is because she's. You see, my sister was always by the book. How boring! I told her. You know, it has to be fixed. Has to be the rule thing. <laughs> and then, and then there's there's me till this day. If I want to do something, I don't care what the rules are. I'm just going to get it done because it doesn't really matter, as long as it's right. within somebody's purview. I don't care. So, how do they proceed to learn more about Sonny, who was a college professor and worked at the local college in Laurel? He had a very unusual relationship with staff and students, didn't he? Mm-hmm. You might say that. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> was a player. He, 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 he was a good-looking guy. He was very smart. He was the one best teacher year after year. Everybody loved him, and sometimes too much. And That's so, right. You know, like I said, yeah, he, he would hook up with uh, students, not his own students, uh, at least mostly, and uh, but he would hook up with students and other staff and people around town. So he was known as a ladies' man, if you will, uh, whatever that term means. But uh, he had he had a history. He had a past. He was a player. But everybody loved him and everybody respected him. And so the administration, because he was so good at what he did and that the students just absolutely loved him and learned so much mm-hmm. from him and he was such a great professor, they kind of looked the other way and let him paint outside the lines a little bit. Not that mm-hmm. he did anything ever terrible. But he had relationships within the college that probably shouldn't have happened. Yeah. But, you know, I think people get too wound up in all that stuff anyway. And so uh, Sonny didn't care. He was going to do what he wanted to do, and he was going to keep teaching, and he loved his students and all that. So I think administration kind of said, okay, you know, we, we won't come down on you too hard. We'll smack your wrist every now and then, but we're not going to, you know, throw you out of college or out of, out of the professorship or anything. So that's kind of his dynamic with the school. And Kane and Harper mm-hmm. needed to know who he was. They needed mm-hmm. to know who Sonny was. What was he about? So if you're going to have to find out this random killing, a guy out for a run, a shot and killed on the side of a rural road out in the middle of the country, one of his normal running paths, and he's dead, 
how are you going to find out who did it? Well, you look at the victim and you look at the victim's relationships. That's where you start police work. Who, mm-hmm. who could have done this? Who would have done this? Who benefits from this? Mm-hmm. Why was this done? Why at this point in time? Why at this location? So they have to go around and kind of look at – it's called victimology. Look at the victim and find out what they're all about. So that's their first step is to go around mm-hmm. and gather data on who is Sonny Coleman. A lot of police officers don't, and sometimes they just jump at the, at the whatever, oh, well, he did it, whatever. That's what bothers me, even when I watch police shows, and I watch a lot of real real crime, true crime, and it's like the first victim, the first one is always the husband that did the murder or the son or the daughter, and they don't even look past that. Sometimes it's not them. They automatically assume yeah, that it yeah, is. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's, that's Exactly. That's not good. So here we have another one. Now, I, I have to give credit to the dean because he didn't care this was a mess. Didn't care. And yet, right, exactly. Now, who knows what would happen. So what happens when they learn that Gina is missing and no one cares at first? That has really yeah. bothered me. Yeah, a college girl goes missing and, uh, you know, it's kind of a side issue for Kane and Harper initially, but... Mm. Then when she turns up dead, it changes the complexion of everything, mm-hmm. and particularly since she's been carved with numbers. Yeah, and that's this, the scary her part. Number, her number is 7-0. It's been carved into her abdomen after death. Uh, well, now they learn that back a couple of years earlier, over about an 18-month period, there were four other victims. And young women, some, one was a college student, others were, one was a hitchhiker, just one was a person, a real estate agent, his car broke down on the side of the road. But anyway, they were all murdered, they were all posed, they were all carved with 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, and now suddenly it's 7-0 after a, after a two-year hiatus. What does that mean? Well, the, the police, you know, uh, Patrick and, and Willa, say well they're taunting us the killer had been taunting us and it's kind of like you know my score is four to zero against you guys mm-hmm. you guys can't figure out who i'm doing and i've killed four people well now it jumps to seven why are there two missing victims what's yeah. going on is he playing with them is he trying to confuse them what's going on and so now they start figuring out i mean kane and harper aren't necessarily involved in this but they are and they insinuate themselves into that, though they're still not sure if it connects to Sonny's murder. They're still not sure of that. And they don't know about anything. I know that's what's scary. And they don't know if his murder is connected to this one either. And then but, well, they want to help they, and investigate. That's why the police yeah. dubbed this guy the tally man. That's why the police dubbed this guy the tally man, because he kept yeah. tally. He kept score. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this about? But, you know, they're not, that's not unique. I mean, serial killers have done that before. They've kept score. They've taunted the police. They've done all that. Uh, they've carved all kinds of weird stuff into people. I mean, there's a lot of sicko people out there that do weird stuff, much worse than this. But I thought this was, I thought this was interesting that he was keeping score and he was lumping it in the police's face. I'm surprised he didn't take bets and get money for keeping score, too. <laughs> 
This was this was original. That's why because I said now who people tally they tally money they tally scores they tally a whole bunch of stuff. I used to tally how many A's I would get because if I didn't get them all A's, my tally was not very good. And forget it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So why Kane and Harper? When Kane and Harper see the photos and read the files from the past, the three victims are killed in the same manner. How are they? How do they? How do they realize that? And they were well, posed the same uh, too. Yeah, exactly. So the the carving of the numbers and the posing along the side of the road, so they would be seen and be visually shocking uh, mm-hmm. to whoever stumbled on the bodies was the signature of this guy. So they knew that when mm. Gina Campanelli ended up dead and had 7-0 carved in it, they knew this had to be the same guy or a copycat. And so that always comes in, especially when there's been a hiatus, you know, a copycat. If you remember back to Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, mm-hmm. he went silent for, for over a decade. I, I think it's like 17 years. I don't remember the exact number. A long time. And uh, they they wrote an article or something. Somebody wrote an article 15 years later and says, you know, maybe he's dead. What happened to the guy? You know, he's gone out of Wichita. And uh, Raider basically said, not so fast. And so he killed again. And the question then, with that even, was, was this the same guy or was it a copycat? Here we are over a decade and a half later. Come on. Mm. Come on. Really? Serial killers don't go quiet for that long. Well, there was a reason he did. So that kind of that kind of plays in here. You know, these guys for two years, he the guy did nothing. It could easily be a copycat, and if so, how did the copycat mm-hmm. know about all this? So that's the questions they have to ask. That was like scary. I know. I mean, I grew up whenever I grew up, and the son of Sam was was worked in the post office where I lived. On Williams Bridge yep, Road, yep. Wow. and who even knew? And I probably met him too. <laughs> and then I they got arrested. Again. And at that at that time, I said to my mother, you know, they're dark hair. I'm wearing. I I, I got something blonde. <laughs> like, oh my god, it was scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Bertha was fourth, such a um, he was he such was crazy. a uh, unassuming guy. He was such an yeah. unassuming guy. You'd meet him somewhere and think, oh, you know, there's a nice person, you know. Oh, yeah, you really? don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God! So what is different about but, you know, the fourth? People like Ted Bundy too. So there's that, huh? Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I watched True Crime and Vanished and Undiscovered Secrets and Dateline. They're so cool. And my husband's got me stuck yeah. on Murder in the Heartland and Scary People. Oh yeah. Oh, those are, those are really good. Murder in the Heartland good. is a great one. Yeah, yeah I know. I can't. I, great. Yeah. And there's small town there's, stories. Yeah. Then there's Web of Lies, and he's got me watching all of this yeah. stuff. He says, maybe one of these days you'll write one. I go, N- not really. What is no. different about the I watch fourth, every the, one of them. Every one you do. Them. You see, that's how you learn. That's right. You see, no, but I write, from the, I write from the point of view of the dead body behind the gravestone telling the story about being accused. <laughs> and exactly, hopefully, exactly. What is different about the fourth, and who was this fourth one, and... The tally man, well, his purpose was was revenge, right? But what was Maybe. different about the the fourth victim? There's a lot of reasons why he did this. Yeah, they weren't sure why the tally man did what he did, but one of the things that they looked at, obviously, was revenge, yeah. that maybe the police had done somebody wrong. The fourth mm-hmm. victim was Holly Dean, 
And it turns out that, mm-hmm. that Holly Dean knew, yeah. obviously this is a small town, a lot of people know everybody, but Holly and her husband Kevin had been very close friends with Patrick, Patrick Ryan, uh, Willis' mm-hmm. partner in this, and the cop. Um, and so consequently when uh, Holly was the fourth victim and she was, she was taken at a mall and disappeared, she was out shopping, getting mm-hmm. ready to shop, and she disappeared. Well, obviously uh, Kevin was distraught, Patrick was distraught because they were very close friends. And then mm-hmm. there was a little rift developed in their thing because Kevin couldn't figure out why Patrick couldn't solve this crime. You know, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. there's been three other victims. I don't care about them. This is my wife or my estranged wife, and I want to know mm-hmm. why. Kevin was actually even a suspect for a while, so there was that. And uh, so uh, as husbands and wives always are, you know, when, when a spouse gets killed, it's always mm-hmm. you look inside the door first. Uh, so that created a whole dynamic between them. And so uh, that raised the specter of obviously somebody, somebody has a Mm. issue with the police. Why? What is that issue? Uh, Could it be that? Could it be revenge for not solving a case? Could it be that the guy had something done to him in the past? Could it be an Mm -hmm. ex-con, you know, that's now out of prison? Maybe he spent those two years locked up, and that's why he wasn't killing. You know, maybe he got caught for something else. And all these things had to start working in. Was this a, a serial killer who was killing people for chills and thrills? Was this guy making a political statement by showing how inept the police and the city operatives were? Was this guy revenge-motivated toward the police because of some past transgression mm-hmm. or perceived transgression? And all of these are the things that have to be figured out as they start winding their way from case to case and talking to person to person as to who did what to whom and why. Well, they, it's always well, they, why. they talk to the family of the victim, of the first three victims, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of put them yes, in the crosshairs too. And some people, when they have murders like that committed in their family, they don't want to talk to the police. They don't want to talk to anybody. They just don't want to remember exactly. it. Exactly. So they talk to them, exactly. and and they speak to Kevin, the husband of Holly, so what is different right. about her, and what was her relationship with Patrick, oh, poor Patrick? Well, uh, you know, she and Patrick, obviously, they were very dear friends, and as was Kevin. And uh, the difference with her is that the others had been posed uh, a little more suggestively. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't. I got it but, she still had num- but she still had numbers carved on her. And so, obviously, that was the signature. So they knew at least half the signature was there. The posing wasn't, but the, that made her a little different. And, of course, that raised questions. Why? Why was she treated differently? Or was this just mm-hmm. he didn't have time? You know, he was going to go through all this stuff, but somebody drove by because he was doing it along. He was posing these people along smaller roads, but not necessarily isolated roads. He wanted the victims found. And so he couldn't put them on a main highway. There's too many people to mm. see him. But he, if he put them on a side county road that was used, you know, daily, you could do it in the middle of the night and nobody shows up till the farmers wake up and start moving around, you know, and somebody would find it at, at, at dawn. So that's kind of was his M.O. So maybe somebody drove along while he was getting ready to pose this victim and he, he hightailed it out of there. And didn't get to go. So all these questions came into play. Why was this mm. different? And when you see one that's different, you've got to ask those questions. If you have a series of murders and one of them's different, it's like, why? Yeah. 
what happened. Is there a simple explanation, or is he trying to tell us something else? Well, maybe he's just trying to put them in the wrong place and mislead them and let them think, oh, sure. maybe it's not this, not not related to that, yeah. And some people exactly. just think that they, like you said before, they commit murder just to see how long they can get away with it. And and, yeah. and that's scary. It's even scarier <laughs> when, when you read a book and then the, the guy says, my father was killed or my somebody was killed, and the police say, well, we can't put any resources into that because it's probably nothing. Don't worry about it. Or they don't care. And yet if it was one yeah. of them, that would be a whole lot different. So Exactly. That, how did you create the photos, the case study, and how do you, do you use your background to help when explaining the deaths and victims' mode of death? Because that's even better. Well, you know, it's uh, it's all part of forensic science, and obviously I've, I've written several books on that and obviously helped other writers and TV people yeah. with a lot of the forensic science and medical science in their stories. So, I mean, that's kind of my wheelhouse. I know that stuff. And if you're investigating a crime, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And in literature, and you're writing a story, both the right and the wrong are very important. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you, you, want to do it, you want to do it right. You want to do it right for the right reasons. Sometimes it's done right for the wrong reasons, but it's done. Sometimes it's done wrong, and it's done wrong because of uh, lack of attention, lack of paying attention to detail, lack of Mm -hmm. competence. And sometimes it's done for more sinister reasons, like to throw people off. So when when investigation is done properly or improperly, both of those are important. But in order to do that and know that, you have to know what's proper. But again, Mm. you go back to watching all these shows. I watch all of them. I, I have them all on record, and I probably Me have too. 20 different true crime shows, and I watch all of them. That's what I do while I'm writing, while I'm reading, while I'm doing something. I have one of those shows on, and I'm doing two things at once. And uh, you learn a lot about cases, and you learn a lot about investigations, and you learn a lot about the right and the wrong and where the mistakes were made mm-hmm. and where it was done right. And it, it's just good fuel for later storytelling. You know, not that you copy any of them or do anything, mm-hmm. but you take elements of that and you say, oh, you know, this is pretty cool. Maybe I'll use this one day. And then, lo and behold, that day comes because it fits, you know, the story you've got going. So, okay, I can incorporate this issue into this. And, and that's kind of how it works. That's why I watch all those shows. Besides, they're fun. Well, you know what's really different about them also, because I watch them too, is that the way the police deal with the investigation, they're all different. The way they talk mm-hmm. to the witnesses, the way they try to coerce the yep. person to say, you know, to to, conv- you know, to confess. And they're like some of them are more, you know, lay back, and some of them literally smash the person in the head. That's so cool. And, yeah. Pretty, yeah, exactly, and exactly. It's different tactics. And, so before I forget, and sometimes you want to say, no, 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 don't do that, don't say that. That's don't exactly that. right. Yeah. Why don't you do this? And, and, they, and other times and you say, wow, that is so clever. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes because there's I watch Cold. Do you watch Cold Justice too? That, that's no, one I don't of my watch favorite. that one. Yeah. That is good. She's really good, Katie Sig- uh, Kelly Sligo. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What bothers me at the end of the program is that they, they know the victim, they know the uh, killer, and they don't always get the DA to, to, to prosecute. 
That's what really is bad. Right. Because she works really hard. But I learned how to ride a motorbike, and I learned how to do the board. <laughs> I'm learning. So <laughs> before I forget, I'm taking off after today. I'm giving myself a vacation. And I start back on January 4th with none other than Vincent Zandri. And he's going to talk about Pulp Fiction and anything else that he feels like talking about. On the 5th, the author <laughs> of Cleopatra's Revenge. On the 9th, Cindy McDonald. On the 12th, this is really more your speed. Um, Isaac Wright Jr. Was, is an attorney. He writes about being wrongly accused. He was accused of being a kingpin. He was beaten up by the police, and he spent 16 years in jail. He became a lawyer, and now he defends people that are wrongly accused. This is a true story, and it's really, everybody's got to read it. So he's coming on January 12th. On the 16th, the number one pain management doctor, Sabrina Shu, and her book with Linda Spear. On the 18th, I got a panel show, people. And on the 19th, a cardiologist. Dr. Christina Laporte is going to talk about dissection. And that really scared oh. me just reading that. Oh, it was scary. Three types of... Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a cardiologist, too. I know Christina. Yeah. You so do? That'll be a good show. Yeah. Well, That'll be a good this show. Is that'll the, be a good show. I hope so, because we had to reschedule because of somehow the, the publicist didn't get the time right. So this is going to be January 19th, and I'm only doing it for half. 11 o'clock her time, 2 o'clock mine. Only because it's her. So, <laughs> scary, yeah. So these murders yeah, take place in, the, in different places. But what is odd about Gina's murder, and what does she leave as a clue? Uh, well, I don't want to give away too much. But without but, saying um, too much, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they were – they all – this is a small town. You know, you said you like yeah. murder in the heartland. You know, I, I, I like to set my stories in small places. And mm-hmm. uh, a murder in a small town or especially a series of murders like this, the impact is so much greater than if it happens in Chicago or New York or Houston or wherever. It, you know, because that's, that's like you know, six-page, you know, report. Oh, so-and-so was murdered in the Bronx. You know, oh, okay, yawn. You know, how many times has that happened this week? Uh, but if you put it in mm-hmm. a small town of 5,000 people or less, then suddenly it's like, whoa, you know, it impacts everybody in the town. And that's why small towns are so cool to write about. It's more important. It's more impactful on people's lives mm-hmm. and on the community. So that's why I choose those. So when this guy starts posing bodies around these little county roads in different places, it's like uh, – uh, you know, who is this person and why is he doing this to us? Because that's the mentality. He's doing this to us. He's doing this to our family, our community, our mm. our location. Why is, why is he, this guy doing this to us? And that is, uh, that's powerful stuff. And it's true. You know, you, you see the, like you said, murder in the heartland. You see yeah. these things. It affects the whole town. It affects everybody. And it's like, whoa. You know, whereas, again, mm-hmm. in a big city, it's like, okay, that was Wednesday. You know, this is Thursday. Let's go do something else. It's, well, cold justice takes place in small towns only. And yeah. They, okay. And it really hits the family because a lot of the murders take place in 1993, 1979. So it's like 30, 40 years later when somebody decides right. to take the case and do it. It's like 
I, I watch these right. programs and I keep switching between. I tape everything. <laughs> and like, okay, today yeah. we're going to watch this. Today we're going to we're going to do that. Oh my God. So what about Sonny's murder? Why why was he killed? Poor thing. Well, I'd I'd rather not say. <laughs> Don't say. It. We're not going to tell <laughs> but, you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to read the book. But um, Sonny yes. was killed. <laughs> and it's well, your book rolling. is going and the it, way of all my books. Next month, my dermatologist wife loves me. For that alone, I don't. I don't need to go there, but I don't even need to get an appointment. I just walk in with books, and he says, "Don't worry about it. You're next." Because oh, his good. wife. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's gonna. They're gonna love it. Yeah. Otherwise, um, I may hold this one for my uh, my UPS guy. The post office hasn't been delivering anything, so Wiz delivers everything. So I think I'm gonna hold this one for Wiz because he asked for it. He said he wanted a good murder mystery, so I'm gonna stick this in the oh, bed good. for Wiz. Oh, he's great. So how did you create without giving it away the final scenes? And what about the ambassador? Yeah. How does she react to this whole thing? Because we get to know her, but not really. I like to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's not giving anything away to say the good guys no. win and the bad guy loses in the end because that's the way stories are supposed to end, I think. Yeah. But uh, the point is is that in any thriller, in any story like this, there has to come a time mm-hmm. where the antagonist and the protagonist meet face-to-face in a mono mm-hmm. mono situation. It has to be that way. It has to be that way. You know, uh, Ripley had to kill the alien, you know, and they had to meet face-to-face in the end. And it just has to be that way. Uh, Sarah Connor had to kill the Terminator face-to-face because it had mm-hmm. to be that way. So, again, this is a rural town, so they end up in a rural place, and they end up figuring out who's done this, and they end up uh, becoming face-to-face. And obviously, Willa and Patrick want to be the ones to take the guy down, but Kane yeah. and Harper convince them that we're better equipped to do this because this is not a straightforward situation. This could be uh, this could turn this could turn south and, and get nasty in a heartbeat. We're better equipped, and besides, if things do go wrong, you won't get blamed for it. So you know, act like you just showed up, and we took care of this for you, and. Uh, so that's where the final confrontation comes from, which employs both Kane and Harper's best skills. Harper's manipulation and mm. Bobby's Bobby Kane's skills. <laughs> Let's put it that it way. Was, it was definitely original. And where it takes place was Good. very original. And I just sat there and I'm going like, oh, my God. You know, you get like you don't get like a heart stopping thing. You're like, oh my god, is that? I mean, number one, I can't stand that when somebody kills off a main character, and somebody did recently, and I yelled at him when I introduced interviewed him. I said, how could you, how yeah. could you kill this person off? You can't do this to me. And he explained why, and I said, no excuses, sorry. Still was upset. And <laughs> I, I know. Well, when they make the main character an idiot at the end and just like screws up. That gets me crazy, too. And exactly, it, exactly. I mean, really, there are different ways to end good, stories. And um, sometimes villains, I think the worst... Good villains make good heroes. That, well, sometimes a, a good, you wonder... A good villain will make a good hero because if your hero yeah. beats the doofus, it's like, yeah, yawn, I could have done that on Wednesday. 
you know, but if he beats the super, you know, it's like Hannibal Lecter. If you can outwit Hannibal yeah. Lecter, then you are a well, super he's cool. cop, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, then there are some authors that the villain gets away and he comes back again. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's even cool. James Patterson yeah, did that cool. for years, you know, uh, with Gary Sonia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I like that, actually. And so now yeah. that person's still out there. And yeah. that kind of reflects real life, you know. Go know. get away. Yeah. We know. That's what's really scary. So yeah. what special equipment like the drones and more helped them on this case? Drones are cool. They're different kinds of drones. I know that. Yeah, yeah, they use drones. Uh, uh, you know, Kane and Harper, because of their military background and their connections mm-hmm. with the with the spook world and with the military world, they have access to things that the average person doesn't because they can get them through back channels. And so they mm-hmm. have, you know, whatever weapons they need, whatever vehicle they need, they can they can get to that stuff uh, if they need it, and they can also get the help that they need. Uh, particularly as far as, as, as intelligence information. But uh, they have drones. You know, a lot of people have drones. They know how to use them. And they can, they can use them to survey situations before they walk into it. Again, it's just, you know, the military does that all the time. You know, if you're going to send some guys into a village somewhere, they got a drone over there. You know, I, one of the coolest things back mm. when we were in Afghanistan and the, and the, the, the Navy SEALs were out, on patrol well you know they'd be up in these mountains and it you know they're going to go to sleep for the night well you got to leave somebody awake as a guard yeah you know because you don't want somebody sneaking up on you well i got a better idea (laughs) the military just put a drone up above them now these drones could fly for over a day a day and a half and so the drone would be up there you know so many thousand feet and just just hovering there and it not only watched what was going on, it had heat-seeking technology. So if any warm creature tried to come within a mile of these guys, the mm. drone knew about it. So they basically could go to sleep and rest comfortably because they knew that no one was going to get anywhere near them without them knowing about it. And that's huge. That is mm. huge because even just leaving one guy up to kind of walk the perimeter, well, he could get killed. You know, and he could get knifed and killed and nobody would know. And now they're all vulnerable or he could be on the wrong side, you know, doing his loop mm. and somebody sneak into where they're bivouac, uh, where they're curled up in whatever they curl up in over there. But with a drone, all that's impossible because they're watching. They're watching everything in the surrounding area. So I think uh, that's cool technology. You know, and it's not just for annoying your neighbors and, and taking cool photographs. <laughs> Not in the military's hands, and in Kane and Harper's hands. They use drones. Well, the drones can short circuit. There's nothing that can stop them. There's nothing where they could get, you know, all of a sudden they can't work. Sure, bad weather, number one. A technical yeah. issues, number two. Uh, so, I mean, and then, then a drone can get shot out of the sky if it's seen. I mean, somebody, you know, take a shotgun, yeah. it's easier to shoot a, it's easier to shoot a drone than it is to shoot a dove coming downwind. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there are a couple I of characters I left out so because I don't want to give anything away because I was just looking right. at the book, which I have memorized. Probably. <laughs> so the, the ending of the book is interesting because Kane and Harper, 
and Willa and Patrick, how does it end between all of them? And would they work together with them or no? Oh, they, uh, you know, I think it ended with them all uh, on the same page and all having developed a bond, like, you know, as war will do. And basically they have been to war with this killer. Uh, both a psychological war and a physical war to try to bring this person down and bring them to justice. And uh, that kind of bonds people together. So I think the four of them were very close. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to work together again or not because mm-hmm. this is a small town. And, you know, it's uh, it's kind of like Santa Maria. You know, everybody said, you know, the Kinsey Bill Hall books. Santa Maria is maybe the most dangerous place on earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. of, there's so many crimes and murders there after you go through the alphabet. So, uh, you know, there's that. I don't know whether they'll ever come back to this area and hook up with these two uh, or not, but, you know, it's a possibility. Anything is a possibility. You know what I get a really yep, yep. gets crazy is that the book, like I said, the book I just read yesterday, um, very no well-known author, that's why I'm not saying the name of the book, the police officers are corrupt, and that bothers me. I mean, the corrupt police officers everywhere. They're corrupt everywhere in any, in any, any vocation. It doesn't matter. But there wasn't mm-hmm. one person that they could go to, that this guy could go to. His father was killed in front of him, and they think he did it. How can right. he do it? He didn't have a gun, he, you know, whatever it was. So you wonder sometimes, the law enforcement agencies sometimes don't want to work together. So if the FBI gets in, then the police department loses it. Internal revenue, Interpol, all of, all of them, they don't work very well together. Sometimes they should, sometimes right. they shouldn't. So where 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 do you see Kane and Harper next? What's next for these guys? I love them. Oh, they're uh, they get something in their local in their backyard where this young mm-hmm. couple have witnessed a murder. Oh, cool. At a casino, at a casino in uh, in Mississippi over at Tunica, mm-hmm. where they worked. Uh, they both worked at the casino, and late one night they see a guy shoot another guy. It turns out mm-hmm. this guy is 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 a, a Dixie Mafia type, and his brother kind of mm-hmm. uh, runs the the mafia, if you will. And mm-hmm. they own own part of this casino, and they're also you know meth dealers and and with motorcycle gangs and the cartels and all this stuff. They're really 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 nasty guys. So they end up. Available to testify what they did, but they had to go into witness protection. Well, it turns out this guy found out where they were now twice, in short order. When mm. the, the U.S. Marshal Service runs WITSEC, the Witness Protection Program, and they uh, they, uh, they they track them down, so now they don't trust the the, the program anymore. You know, they've already run them down twice. And so they check around and say, what can we do? And a guy says, call these people. I'll send these people to you. So Kane and Harper come and find and, and meet them in a public place and then take them kind of into their custody. And now they're going to try to convince this guy that maybe it's in his best interest to leave these people alone and let his brother go. 
And this guy, of course, is saying there's not a chance in hell that's going to happen. You don't know who you're dealing with. I have soldiers, man. I have guys that are trained. I have bad guys that kill you and your whole family. Mm. And Kane and Harper basically say, really? Game on. That's what that's what I love with them. They don't get they don't get upset. They don't sweat the the no. hearts, the small stuff. They're like, yeah, you you just mess with the wrong guy. I think I think so. They have to figure big. out where the leak is. They have to figure yeah. out where the leak is. Why do why do they know? And second, they have to take care of this guy. They have to convince him or eliminate him. Those are their options. That's what's scary with these witness protection programs or safe houses and stuff. Somebody that's really clever is going to find you no matter what. That's what's really scary. And you can change your identity. It, you can do a can. whole lot. And it's not going to matter. They're going to find you. And that's what's scary about even being on online. You know, I Google myself and I go, is that really me? Well, am I really there? Did yeah, I do that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's frightening. Right. Especially, sometimes in this, I mean, especially in this day and age. Yeah. yeah. It's harder in this day and age with electronics. But the key is if you change yeah. your name, if you become somebody else, you can never, ever, ever, ever have any contact with your old life, whether it fits electronically really or with people or with any, ever. You cannot ever. One little slip up, and it can blow up in your face. Also, mm-hmm. the people they put, remember, they're not put in the lap of luxury. Yeah, so I know. let's say you have a profession or, or you have a business and you're doing well, but you end up witness protection. Well, you're not going to be able to transfer your business over there you know no. you're going to you're going to be a babe in the woods and start all over and maybe you're going to be serving coffee you know at a at a, at a, at a coffee shop mm-hmm. you're not a, an attorney anymore you know wow i mean what a commitment and 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 you're not going to live in luxury you're not going to live in a house on the beach you're going to live in a house in the middle of a neighborhood that's very nondescript and not very expensive because they don't have a lot of money and they're not going to pay for your lifestyle. Thank you for testifying, but it's just, it's, you know, movies make it a little more glamorous. It's not glamorous. It takes, you've got to admire the people who step forward to do the right thing and deal yeah, with the consequences. And, but the consequences are not, are not plush. I could imagine. I can't imagine anybody... I mean, they sort of convince them you're doing the right thing, blah, 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 and then sort of like, we're going to put you here. They sort of stab you in the back and say, well, thank you very much, bye. And they're not going to do well, anything else to help to them. Yeah. I know. That's what they can that's do. What, that's yeah. what's scary. And in real life, they probably do the same thing. So, um, culture is coming out in May, people. Yep. Jake and Nicole are back. And, of course, that's the six. <laughs> DP knows that my favorite couch in the world is Pancake. I love pancakes. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, you know, so I weigh 104 pounds, and I wish I could eat like he does. I, I oh, mean, yeah. at one point before I lost all my weight, I was like a very heavy person. That's all the whole of the story. But oh my God! So where can everybody get all of your books? And when is this one coming out? The one that you just told me about. Well, uh, with, with well, Kane and Harper came out in August, so it's been out a couple of months. Make a good Christmas present. Uh, the yeah. next, uh, the, the next Jake book, uh, uh, Culture, is coming out in May from Ocean View, um, and you can go to my website dplylemd.com, dplylemd.com, and that'll connect you to everything: books, podcasts, radio, all that stuff. So you can you can you can go there and hopefully have some fun. When are Kane and Harper coming out again? 
But I need to know if to well, put it in my brain, my schedule. Oh gosh. Yes. Uh, yeah, the book's not finished because I'm finishing up the edits on the next uh, uh, Jake Longley book. I want to get oh, it done and out of the way, and and uh, it's mostly done. It'll be called Unbalanced, and uh, it also involves a murder and embezzling and stuff, you know. Well, what, what I love about Ocean View is that they just send them. And I got your book. I go, wait a minute, this yeah. is so cool. And I just got um, Robert McCoy's doing an de- uh, interview with me in June on Retribution. I got that. I go, like, oh, my God, I can't pass this one up. And the publicist actually said he wanted an interview. I go, like, this is so cool. I mean, Oceanville just keeps me busy. But, D.P., thank you so much. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. They are fantastic. You're great. This is is so cool. I wish that they would do the Thriller Fest up here, not in Manhattan. I don't go into Manhattan because (laughs) of all of the the, the COVID and all the rest of it, and I have no desire to get it ever. But um, I wish they would do it up in, in, you know, one of the hotels up here so they can come and see everybody. But everybody... (laughs) <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful day. Have a great day. Deeply thank you so much. Everybody have a great day and bye. Thank you.